This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Good evening, welcome. With uh, appreciation to the Morda Astra by Welcher and the Kehillah for lending us the space. It's an honor and a privilege to welcome you all. Brushus, the Rabbanan, the Rabbeim of our Talmidim who are here. Brushus Avimairi. By way of introduction, I'd like to share a story I heard many years ago. Rav Elia Lapian was Rosh Hashiva Yeshiva's Chaim in London, early 20th century. It's during the Aseri Tshuva, and as you can imagine, in a series yeshiva, things are rather intense in the days leading up to Yom Kippur, between Rosh Hashanah leading up to Yom Kippur, the, the davening, maybe a little extra kavana, learning with a little extra asma, they're really, really putting extra elbow grease into their avodas Hashem. And some of the Bacharim came to rebellion and they said, I don't understand. You look out in the street and people are going about their business like tomorrow is just a regular day. But we, who in general spend so much time learning, we're the ones who are taking this so seriously. It seems a little imbalanced. So Elia understands their, their point and he offers the following anecdote from his own youth to explain it. He says, when I was a very young boy, I was about four or five years old, I was horsing around in my house in the kitchen, and I accidentally knocked over a glass. And the glass fell on the floor and broke. And what was perhaps a bit of an understatement, my mother was very unhappy with me, she was unhappy with my behavior, and she let me know, maybe he got a little bit of a zetz, he's going to remember not to horse around in the kitchen anymore. It says, a few days later, one of the chickens from the backyard somehow gets into the house and it's flapping around the kitchen and knocks over a whole tray of glasses, smashes them all over the floor. And he tells Talmidim, I remember thinking to myself, oh, is that chicken going to get it? And what happened? His mother walks over, calmly picks up the chicken, puts it out into the backyard. So I don't get it. It's not fair. Since then, when I was a little bit older, I realized it's better to be held to a higher level of accountability, but to live inside the house. Sir Eli explains to Talmidim, and Achinami, it's true. You're held to a higher level of accountability, but it's not a burden, it's a privilege. You live in the house. You're shifti beves Hashem. Being in the house is worth that extra level of accountability, that extra level of pressure. And I think that resonates with our, our Slabotka Musr Masora, the idea of Galus Adam holding ourselves to a higher standard. We're going to read on Yom Kippur, the Avodas Yom Kippurim, and I was discussing this with one of the grades today, very quickly, mind you, that first the Kohen Gadol would shech the, the par, which was a chatas for the Kohanim, and then he would sprinkle the blood, and then he would offer the Ketorahs, and then he would come back, and there's the Seir, which was the chatas for Klal Yisrael, and sprinkle the blood. And then the Torah tells us that he has to take the Dam HaPor and the Dam HaSair, and he has to mix them together and put them on the Karnas HaMizbeach and the Corners HaMizbeach, and that, Rashi tells us, is what finally affects the Kapara. And Rameir Shapiro of Yeshiva's Chachmei Lublin says, the lesson here is that you cannot just, as the Kohen Gadol, as the Kohanim, as the leaders say, you know what? We know how to handle this kapara. We can look after our own kapara. Your kapara is totally in the kapara of all of Klai Yisrael. It's not enough to look after yourself. 
If you're shifty b'veis Hashem, if you are being held to this higher standard, you have a responsibility beyond your own Dalat Amos. You have a responsibility to the entire Klal. This evening we have the privilege of hearing from a speaker who, who comes from a, 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 a family that shares this sense of, of communal responsibility. I was reading that his uh, Rabbi Gladstein's former, uh, late grandfather, Rabbi Mordechai Leib Gladstein, spread Torah in his community, but not just in the four walls of his base Knesset, but in his community, beyond the, the, the from community, beyond the Jewish community as well. Rabbi Gladstein himself is a prolific writer and speaker. If you own one of his books and you've read the short biography, you'll, you'll know this. If you haven't, Baruch Hashem, you have the opportunity to purchase a book this evening. But you'll read that uh, Rabbi Gladstein has over 5,000 recorded shiurim, that his uh, shiurim have been downloaded millions of times. And to say nothing of the countless audiences, such as ourselves here this evening, who had the zechus to hear his words of Torah and chizuk in person. So tonight, as we prepare for Yom, Yom, Yom HaKippurim, we have this very special opportunity, this very special zechus. And with that, I ask uh, for Rabbi Gladstein. Thank you so much, Rabbi Pacht, for the very warm introduction. Rishos, Rabbeim of Yeshivat Faras Moshe, and community leaders, it's really an honor to be here. It's an honor to be in this Beis HaKnesses. I had the privilege uh, to learn certain halachas from Rabbi Welcher when I was in Yeshiva. I did Shimush and certain Yanum from Rabbi Welcher. And I used to come to this Beis HaKnesses quite often. And I see so many good chaverim, rabbeim. So it's really an honor to be here this evening. And I wish the yeshiva, the menahel, and all the rabbeim great hatzlacha and habratzas ha And continuing on the legacy of Torah Musar, Ad Biyaskoyal Tzedek. <clears throat> One of the most prolific educators of our time, someone, a very colored personality, Rabbi Berylwein. Very interesting personality, historian. He was a rav. He was a Rosh Hashiva. He is a producer, a columnist, a historian, someone who's intru- uh, literally influenced thousands and thousands of lives. But he's not one to take in the adulation and the fans. And he was once in an airport. And somebody comes over to Rabbi Wine and he says, Rabbi, is that, is that you? And Rabbi Wine, the last thing he wants to do in an airport is see somebody who's been listening to him. I can't believe it. Rabbi, you've changed my life. I've read all your books, all your articles. I've heard thousands of your tapes. In my shul alone, there are dozens of people that read your book while the rabbi is speaking. It's unbelievable. And Rabbi Wine has had enough, and the guy is just like not letting him go, and he's chasing after him. And Rabbi Wine, I appreciate it. Bracha v'hatzlacha. And the guy comes running after him as he's about to get onto the plane. One last thing, Rabbi. You know, behind every great man is an even greater woman. Please send my best regards to Rebetzin Frand. And Rabbi Wine looks him in the eye and he says, I don't usually travel with her, but next time I see her, I'll be sure to let her know. Marv Rabbi there are times in life that you could really miss the boat. You could blow it. 
and sometimes the repercussions are not that great. I'll tell you a little story. I thought, you know, with this uh, Torah Anytime, I was looking at some of the statistics, and I saw that there were people listening in Ireland. I was, whoa, people listening in Ireland? I can't believe it. So I, I may ask, if anyone is listening in Ireland, let me know, maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe they'll bring me to speak there. And somebody messaged me, Rabbi, nobody's listening to you in Ireland. It's a guy in Muncie. He has a tech lock filter. It's run through the technology in Dublin and Ireland. So nobody's listening in Ireland. The guy's in, uh, in Williamsburg and Muncie. There are times in life you could really blow it. You could miss the boat. But the repercussions are not really that great. But sometimes you can miss the boat and the repercussions are drastic. And it can make a difference for all eternity. Let's begin with a very important question. Any thinking persons really ought to ask this question. And when I tell you who asked this question, you can say, oh yeah, of course we should have asked this question. When you analyze the order of the Yom Naram, it would seem quite out of order. Let's start with Rosh Hashanah. So what happens on Rosh Hashanah? We stand before the Rebbe Hashanah, He weighs our mitzvahs, He weighs our Averois, and if we have more mitzvahs than Averois, He'll write us and sign us for a year of good health, happiness, success, parnasa. And if chas v'shalom, we have more Averois than mitzvahs, the Gemara says the results won't be that great. And then we have ten days, and then comes Yom Kippur, and we do tshuva on Yom Kippur, and Hashem cleanses our neshamos, and our souls are cleaned, and we get slicha v'kapara. And if you think about it for a moment, it's out of order, it's incongruous, it's in a way extremely unfair. Why judge us? And after judging us, the Rebbe Hashem forgives our sin, wouldn't it be nicer, more kind, more reasonable, to first forgive our sin, cleanse our souls, and then we'll be sitting pretty on Rosh Hashanah with only mitzvahs, no averos, and then we'll be written and sealed for a life, a happy year, a successful year, a year of Parnassah. Why delay the kapara until immediately after the judgment? First have the kapara and then judge us. Who asks this question? Says Ravitzla Petterberg in the Sefer Kaich This is the question of none other than Rabbi Yisrael Salanter. Backward. The whole Yom Naram, it's backward. It's not right. It's not fair. One good question deserves another. It's a very interesting observation. Besides Hamel HaKadosh and Hamel HaMishpat, there are four additions we make to the Shemana Esrei. In Bracha number one, we say, Zachreinu le Melech Very good. You got it. Zachreinu lechayim. Remember us for life. Good life? Nice life? Happy life? Oh no. Just plain life. Zachreinu l'chayim. Second bracha of Shmanasa. Mi chamoicha av harachamim zoicher yitzrov l'chayim. L'chayim. Good life? Chayim toivim? No. Chayim mutzlochim? No. Just chayim. Chayim. You go to the end of Shmanasa. Och soiv l'chayim. Oh, now all of a sudden we want the good life. The end of the Sefer Chaim, Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem, Nizam, Baruch Hashem, Vanecha, Anam, Chaim, Toivim, Olashalem. What's the difference between Chaim and Chaim Toivim? Why do we first ask for Chaim and only then ask for Chaim Toivim? And I have another question. If you don't like this question, see, it's not Mokroch. This bothers me, this question. This has bothered me my whole life. 
Tzadikim are done on Rosh Hashanah. When Rosh Hashanah is over, if you're a Tzadik, you're written and sealed, you're finished. Rishonim are written and sealed on Yom Kippur. Who's got to worry about Yom Kippur? Are written and sealed on Rosh Hashanah. Who's got to worry about Yom Kippur? Bainanim. And we like to think a lot of people are Bainanim, right? For some reason we think, like almost everyone is a Bainani. We're all Bainanim. What's the chances, please tell me, that anybody is a Bainani? I mean, what's the likelihood? You know, the Gemara says that if you have more mitzvahs and averos, you're a tzaddik. That's 51 to 49, you're a tzaddik. If you have more averos than mitzvahs, you're a rasha. That's 51 to 49. But if you're 50-50 and you're exactly teetering, you're a benini. Could someone tell me what are the chances that anybody is a benini? You know, there are many sugyos and shas about efsher letzamtseim or e-efsher letzamtseim. But basically we say e-efsher letzamtseim. You can never get something exactly at the same time. Could, do you think it's plausible, reasonable, likely that anyone is really a benini? Either a guy is a good guy or a guy is not a good guy. You think there are a lot of Bainanim walking around? If I was a betting man, I would bet you don't even have one out of 10,000 people who's a Bainani. And yet, for some reason, we're like assuming that they're, we're all Bainanim. Everyone has a sign on them. What's your name? I don't know his name, but he's a Bainani. Is that really likely? Is that possible? Is that plausible? So I want to tell you a story. This is one of the most far-fetched stories you'll ever hear. If it didn't happen, you couldn't have possibly imagined it. The, the story happened in the city of Slutsk. The Rav in the city of Slutsk was Rabbi Yaakov David Wolovsky, known as the Ridvaz. He wrote a classic commentary on the Yushalmi. People think he lived like 500 years ago because if you open up a Yushalmi, you see on the side the Ridvaz. The Ridvaz was then a rabbi in Chicago. Rabbi Yaakov David Wolofsky. He lived from 1845 to 1912. There was a doctor in the city. The doctor was a koifer. He did not believe in Torah. He did not believe in mitzvahs. And one day he went to the butcher shop. It was Thursday. When's the busiest day of the week for the butcher? Thursday. Right before Shabbos. And it's late in the day on Thursday. And he overhears the butcher screaming to all the customers, Get out of here! Get out of here! I'm closing shop in two minutes. Either come back tomorrow if you really need the meat. Come back in an hour. I got to get to shul. Mincha's in a few minutes. And this really bothered this doctor. And he spoke up. He said, are you out of your mind? This is your parnasah for the week. Thursday night before... How could you send away a customer? A customer sent away is a customer lost forever. So the butcher said, look. I got to have a mincha. Got to have a marav. To learn a little chaye adam. Parnasa comes from Shemayim. And besides, I have to worry about Olam Haba. The doctor said, Olam Haba? There's no such thing as Olam Haba. So the butcher says, You're right. For you, there's no such thing as Olam Haba. You're not going to get Olam Haba. I'm hoping I'm going to have a shear in Olam Haba. So the doctor was really infuriated. He said, Really? You think Olam Haba is so great? Here. I'm willing to give you all of my Olam Haba, just give me a ruble. Like I said, deal of the century. Here's a ruble, Shkoyach for Olam Haba, and he darts off and he goes to Mencha. 35 years later, knocks on the butcher store, a well-dressed woman, 
Who are you? I'm Mrs. Doctor. I'm the Almana of the doctor. He's looking at her. What are you here for? I have to ask you, I have to verify a story. My husband passed away a while ago. And every night he's coming to me in a dream and he's disturbing me and he's screaming and he's, he's tormented. He's saying that 35 years ago he sold all his Olam Haba to you and he sold it for a ruble. He asked me to give you, the, he, for you to give the ruble back and he's going to take the Olam Haba. He wants to nullify the sale because in Olam Haba he has nothing. He's an Oni Ve'evyon. He has no share in the world to come. Is there any truth to this? Just tell me it's not true. Because I really would have pushed the story out of my mind. But every single night, he's waking me up, he's screaming, he's tormented. And the guy says, yeah, I can't believe it. I remember the story. I bought his Olam Haba for a ruble. He said, great! (laughs) We're here to uh, make an exchange. We're here to make an exchange. You give us back the ruble, and we'll, uh, we'll give you back the ruble, and you get the Olam Haba back. He said, not a chance. Not giving... I, what, what do I do for a living? I'm a butcher. What kind of Olam Haba do I have? But if you're telling me your husband lost Olam Haba because he sold it to me, that's my Olam Haba. I'm not giving back the Olam Haba. Not a chance. <laughs> I would never give it back for a ruble. This was the deal of the century. I'm not giving the Olam Haba back. She left the store. That night the husband comes to her, he's screaming, he's tormented, he says, Lady, if you don't get back this Olam Haba, I'm never going to let you sleep again. You go to the rub of the city, you go to the Ridvaz, and you tell him we're having a Din Torah, we're going to sue the guy, we're suing him back for my Olam Haba. So what's she going to do? She goes to the Ridvaz, the Ridvaz is taking off his tefillin, the lady screaming, Rabbi, I need to get my husband's Olam Haba back. So we would think, you know, if somebody came to a rabbi, a lady came screaming that she needs her husband's Olam Haba back, not sure how many Rabbanim would give audience to such a case. The Ridvaz took it very seriously. He heard the lady, he said, this is a very serious issue. We're going to convene a court case today regarding the case of the butcher and the doctor and the Olam Haba that was sold 35 years ago. This is like the biggest story ever to hit Slutsk. This is the biggest scandal. The court, the Rivaz is having a court case about Olam Haba that was sold 35 years ago. People couldn't believe it. Is the rabbi for real? He's really having a court case? And he hears the taina of the woman. And he hears the taina of the guy. And he says, I need to think about it. I'll be back in 30 minutes. He comes 30 minutes later. I have the psak. He says, this psak has three parts to it. And everyone's waiting with bated breath because this guy apparently is waiting at the gates of Gan Eden, waiting somehow to get his Olam Haba back. Says the Ritvaz, the first psak is... The sale is bottle. The sale is not legitimate. You can't sell your Olam Haba. It's not transferable. Olam Haba is not money. Money, if let's say you owe me $500, I could say instead of giving it to me, give it to someone who I owe it to. Money is transferable. An item is transferable. Olam Haba is not transferable. Olam Haba is the light 
that your neshama acquires by connecting to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, by doing mitzvahs, it's not something transferable. Lemashal. Let's say, you go to camp. You guys go to camp? You go to camp for two months. And you're in the mountains. And you're playing ball for two months. And you're swimming for two months. And two months are over, and you have a suntan, and your muscles are stronger, and you're invigorated. Could you say... I am now going to give my, my health and well-being to somebody else. It's not transferable. It became part of who you are. The exercise, the, the oxygen, it became part of your entity. You can't transfer it to someone else. You can't transfer Olam Haba. Everybody breathes a sigh of relief. Baruch Hashem, the doctor will get a share in the world to come. Radvaz says the Psak has a second part. The doctor lost his share in Olam Haba. <gasps> well, why? Because Chazal say, Tzidkas HaTzadik The righteousness of the Tzadik will not save them on the day of his sin. Say Chazal, you only get Olam Haba if you value Olam Haba. You only get Olam Haba if you Treat it with respect. If you disparage it, if you look down on it, if you are not, uh, you don't value it, then you don't get it. It's like having charot, it's like regretting a mitzvah that you did. Therefore, says the Ritvaz, this doctor threw away his Olam Haba for a ruble, he can't sell it. But he didn't value it, so he lost his share in Olam Haba. <gasps> People, they're, they're stunned, their faces are white. And finally, the Ritvaz says there's one last cause. The doctor gets a big share in Olam Haba. Huh? Yeah. The Kiddush Hashem that came out of this court case, the Kiddush Hashem that came out about this whole discussion, that until this Din Torah and Slutsk, what's Olam Haba? Olam Haba, they were words, it was a concept. Did anybody ever think about it? Did anybody treat it as a reality? Was anybody worried about it? Until today, everybody just worried about their house in this world, their vehicle in this world, their clothing in this world. But Olam Abo was not something real. Nobody actually thought about it. But because of this court case, Olam Abo became a reality to people. And who caused this reality? This was caused by the butcher. This was caused by the doctor. The doctor has a great share in the world to come. And this is a topic that you could go to shiurim every night of the year. And you could hear shiurim on every subject from the beginning of Shulchan Aruch to the end of Shulchan Aruch. And every Masechta and Shas. But there's one subject that the Sahara doesn't really want anybody to talk about. And that is the most important subject in Judaism. And that is, Olam Hazeh Doime Lefroizdar Befnei HaOlam Haba. That this world is just a preparation for the real world, for Olam Haba. And the question is, how much do we value Olam Haba? Rav Ruderman, Rashiva of Nair Yisrael, whenever he would speak at a Pidyan Haben, so what happens at a Pidyan Haben? The father of the firstborn, he gives the Kayin five silver shekel. And uh, the father gives the Kayin five silver, silver shekel. 
And the Kohen asks the father what's got to be the quintessential rhetorical question. He asks the father, Dad, my ba is What do you want more? Bin you want your kid? Or you want the five shekel? Now, I don't think anyone, any father in the history of the world told the Kohen, you know what? You keep the kid and I'll take the money. At least not by the first kid. But, but Rav Ruderman would say that this question, what do you want more? This is not an isolated question. This is not a one-time question. This is a question that reverberates to every single decision that we ever make in life. Anything we have to do, anything we have to decide, all boils down to one question. What are you more interested in? Which world are you more interested in? When a person decides how many hours to spend at work, they're making a decision. Which world do they want more? This world or the world to come? When a person makes a decision, where do I go on vacation? They're making a decision. Which world do I want more? This world or the world to come? When a person has to decide, what kind of technology am I going to allow my family to access? They're making a decision. Which world am I interested in? Oilam hazeh or oilam haba? And Rav Ruderman would say, every choice we make in this world boils down to one nekuda. My is tfei, what are you more interested in? Oilam hazeh or oilam haba? Which world is more important? So you say, I have a great idea. What about both of them? Why can't I have both worlds? What's wrong with Olam Hazah and Olam Haba? I'm here already. I might as well enjoy it. I might as well enjoy my food. I might as well enjoy my home. I might as well enjoy my car. And the answer is, absolutely. Enjoy every blessing the Yubayim Shalom gives you. Enjoy your family. Enjoy your meals. Enjoy your Shabbos. Enjoy your car. But it, the question is as follows. Which world are you after? Which world do you love? Says the Chayvus Havavais, a very powerful line. The same way you cannot combine in one vessel water and fire. You cannot put into one person the love of this world and the love of the world to come. That's the decision we all have to make. Which world do you love? So we had a question. What's Chayim and what's Chayim Toivim? You know, if you ask, what's for supper? If the answer is chicken, then the chicken is probably fresh. If the answer is good chicken, then it's probably leftovers. You know why? Why do you need to say good chicken? Isn't all chicken good? No, if you're saying good chicken, that means it's probably leftover chicken. Says the Vilna Goyen, what is Chayim? What's life? Life is real life. What's real life? Real life is life connected to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Chayim is Olam Haba. 
And therefore, our request at the very beginning of Shema Esrei, Zachreinu lechayim, we're not asking for this world. Not at all. That's not, this world is not chayim. When we say, It's Olam Haba. Who says this? The Goyin, the Ramchal. That's what it means. Many people are thinking, Oh, I want to have Parnosa. I want to have Nachas. doesn't mean that. That's not Chayim. Chayim is true life. That's Olam Haba. That's our first request. That's our primary request. That's what we're focused on. And by the way, as an afterthought, as a secondary request, at the end of Shemayna Eseh, we say, A little good life is also good. A little parnasa, a little nachas, a little, a nice house, good things. That's chayim toivim. The last two requests of Shemayna Eseh are chayim toivim. The first two requests are chayim Who's a Benini exactly? Do you think anyone's a Benini? You know who's a Benini? Everyone's a Benini. You ready for this going? What's a Benini? A Benini is someone who's Tluyim Ve'oimdim. He's suspended. What is that? Benini? Where are, they, where are they suspended? Where are they hanging? You know where they're hanging? Most people are torn in this world. On the one hand, we want Oilam Hazah. We want breakfast, we want lunch, we want dinner, we want good food, we want nice clothing, we want a nice house, we want money. We're being pulled down by Olam Hazeh. But on the other hand, we want to learn, we want to daven, we want to come close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and we're being pulled up to Olam Abah. And almost everybody in this world is a Bainani. They're Tluyim Ve'oimdim between Olam Hazeh and Olam Abah. Who isn't? Who isn't torn? Who doesn't at some time want Olam Hazah and who at other times don't want Olam Haba? That's the definition of Bainani. A human being by definition is a Bainani. So what does Rebbe Shalom do? How does Rebbe Shalom pull us out of the category of a Bainani? Says the Shalom HaKadosh, Hashem gives us a flavor what Olam Haba is. So He takes a page out of Olam Haba. What's Olam Haba? Ein by Achila, Ein by Shasia. There's no eating in Olam Haba. There's no drinking in Olam Haba. There's no fighting in Olam Haba. Ein by Sacharos. There's no difficulties. You know what that day of Olam Haba is called? It's called Yom HaKippurim. And Hashem brings Olam Haba down to us one day a year for us to savor what Olam Haba is. And then we see Olam Haba staring us in the face and we say, that's what I want. That's the world I'm interested in. That's what I love. That's what I want to pursue. And the Yibbam Shalom elevates us above and beyond the category of Bainani and we establish ourselves as Sadiqim who are interested in the world to come. That's the mechanism of Yom HaKippurim. Says Rabbi Sol Salanter, you know why we're so bothered by the question that the Yom Naram are out of order? You know why it troubles us so much? Because we think that Olam Hazeh is where it's at. We are interested in this world. And if you're interested in this world, you sort of, you scratch your head. Why is Rebun Islam first judging us and then forgiving our Averos? 
But says Rabbi Saul Salanter, this, our creation is not about Olam Hazah. It's all about Olam Haba. And because life is all about Olam Haba, if the Rebbe Shalom would first say, okay, everybody, get to the shul. Everyone, go to shul. You say, what are we doing in shul? We're doing tshuva. What are we doing tshuva for? Uh, the Rebbe would say, you're doing tshuva to cleanse your neshamas. Why do I want to cleanse my neshama? Rebbe said, because it's good for Olam Haba. Olam Haba? Who's interested in Olam Haba? What's Olam Haba? If we would start off the year with Yom Kippur, nobody would show up. They would say, okay, anybody who wants seats for Yom Kippur, sign here, the show would be empty. Who's interested in Yom Kippur? What, do you want your, what, what does Yom Kippur do for us? So you know what the Rebbe Shalom does? He slowly brings us into it. He reels us in. He says, everybody come to shul. What do we do in shul? I'm judging you today. What are you judging us about? I'm judging how much money you're going to make this year. I'm judging how healthy you are. I'm judging how much nachas you're going to have. Oh, that's a language that speaks to us. That's relevant to us. That talks to us. So everyone goes to shul and people start doing tshuva and people start thinking about their actions. And then the Rebbe Shalom says, Wake up! It ain't about Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is how I got you into the shul. Now we're ready for the big leagues. The big leagues is the day where we prepare for our eternal existence. And that is Olam Haba. Let's take it to the next level. Why is it called Yom HaKippurim? Plural. It should be called Yom Kippur. You ever think about that question? Yom Kippur. What's Yom HaKippurim? We know we're being atoned, but who else? What's Yom HaKippurim? So the Ramah writes in the Dark Moshe, Hashem judges on Yom Kippur the Chaim and the Mesim. You ever notice? Sometimes parents will light a yardside candle on Erev Yom Kippur. Who do they light a yardside candle for? For departed relatives. Why do you light a candle for a departed relative? The Mishnah Baruch says, to bring kapara to the mesim. People give tzedakah on Yom Kippur. The Ramah says, to be mechaper for the mesim. Why do mesim need kapara? You ever wonder about that? What do, we, what do Mason need Kapar for? They, what do they do? Once a person goes on to the next world, there's not much they can know, not too many bad things they could do. You know what? We're afraid that while they're buried, they elbowed the guy next day. Hey, move over. It's getting a little uh, cramped over here. Well, what do they do already? Mason need Kapara? What kind of Kapara do Mason need? You know, the, the statistics show that Mason have a very hard time speaking Lashon Hara. Very hard to speak Lashon Hara. If, what kind of kapara? All these minhagim on Yom Kippur to bring kapara to me. What do they need kapara for? So Reb Chaim Velazhenor had a Talmud, the Nachlas David, Reb David Tevel. The Nachlas David had a Talmud named Reb Yeshua Heller. He wrote many, many Sifrei Musar. They're not so popular. He wrote an amazing commentary on Perkei Avos. So he tells the following story. Here's a guy. This guy... He was an Erlich He was an honest Jew. He davened with a minion three times a day. But when I say he davened, you know, there are different kinds of davening. Some people daven. And see, some people look at their phone every couple of minutes, right? So that's not really davening. 
That's not tefillah. Tefillah is to serve Hashem with all your heart. If you check your phone every couple minutes, you're serving Hashem with like 63% of your heart, at most. No, he didn't even bring a phone into the Beis HaKnesses, which is the right thing to do. And he worked honestly. And he was He was an honest Jew. And he went up to the Olam HaMS, and they gave him a nice spot in Gan Eden. Corner property, nice landscaping, he got a luxury vehicle in Gan Eden. He was set up very nicely in Gan Eden. And then a year later, they say, Rabid, guess what? what? What happened? We're giving you a promotion. You're moving. Where am, where am I moving? We're giving you a spot. I don't know if you're going to get it here in Queens. You're moving to back Gan Eden. Ooh, back Gan Eden. Yeah, but it's a pain in the neck to move. It's a pain in the... No, here in Gan Eden, we take care of all expenses, all aggravation. We just go like that. You'll be in back Gan Eden in no time. And that, that sports car that you have, that's nothing. We have a Tesla for you in Gan Eden. Um, Elon himself is going to come bring it to your house. And you're all set up. So what did I do? I didn't do anything in the last year. He said, no, you don't understand. The guy who sat next to you by shul, he stopped bringing his phone to shul because he saw that you stopped bringing your phone to shul. And not only that, your two grandchildren, they worked, work honestly this year because they knew you were an honest guy. So we're giving you a promotion. He said, oh, great, I'll take it. And then a year later, he this really nice looking malach has knocks on his door and he says to the guy, look, you're, you're, you're getting another promotion. We're moving you to the Hamptons of Gan Eden. And year after year after year, he's getting a promotion and his, his portfolio is rising and he's moving up and up and up. Why? Because even though, yeah, when he passed away, his actions were X, Y, and Z, but he has residual income and his, the effects of his mysim continue to proliferate and to influence well after he passes on. But then there was a different guy. This guy, Nebuch Oivai. This guy, he barely came to shul. And he wasn't careful about what he looked at. And he wasn't careful about what he talked about. And he did not have it together. He did not live life the way he was supposed to. But, you know, he did a few good things. He gave a lot of money to Tfaris Moshe. So look, we, we can't take away that. So they gave him a little apartment, a one-bedroom apartment in Harlem of Gan Eden. And he had to lock, like, he had to lock all his windows and doors at night because there's these really scary looking malachim, you know, peering in the windows. But at least he had a place to sleep, you know. And then a year later, a very scary looking angel knocks on the door. He says, Pal, we're evicting you from here. Where am I going? We're taking you to a bench in Central Park. Uh, you don't understand, you know how many people, they're, they're checking their WhatsApps during davening because you were busy on the phone, supposedly? And you know how many people are speaking Lashon Hara because of the way you spoke about the Rav? So you're out of here. Get out of here. And he's evicted. Says Rabbi Yeshua Heller, a person's actions reverberate well beyond his lifetime. A person's actions are infinite. They continue to affect and to affect and to affect and to affect. In fact, Rabbi Yeshua Heller writes, 
that anybody who wants to have Emuna in the Torah should get a hold of the following Sefer. The name of the Sefer is Emunas Chachamim, written by Rabbi Avi Ad Sar Shalom. Say who? If you know a little history, Rabbi Avi Ad Sar Shalom was the one Gadol Yisrael who defended the Ramchal. When the Ramchal had a number of controversies, he supported the Ramchal. Rabbi Avi Ad Sar Shalom. He asked a very wondrous question. You know there's something called Tanakh? You ever hear of it? Tanakh, Torah, Nevi'im, Ksuvim, you know, the part of the Torah, the, the prophets and the scriptures. There's something called Sefer Malachim. If you look in the book of Malachim, there's a, there's a story about a king, Menashe. Menashe was a wicked king. He introduced Avodah throughout the length and breadth of Eretz Yisrael. And ultimately he did tshuva. And yet, even though his tshuva is recorded in the Masech the Sanhedrin, not one word about his tshuva is mentioned in Sefer Malachim. You want to read about Menashe's tshuva, you have to look in Divrei Hayamim. Haloi Dovrhu, why would that be? Why is Menashe's tshuva recorded in Divrei Hayamim and not in Malachim? So Rabbi Aviad Sashalom says, very simple. Menashe influenced hundreds and thousands of Jews to serve Abba Zara. And their children served Abba Zara. And their grandchildren served Abba So Menashe did tshuva, so what he did tshuva? But his actions continue to reverberate. They continue to have an impact, a ripple effect, and there's no taking that back. And therefore his tshuva was not accepted. Because so long as your actions continue to produce fruit, it doesn't matter that you personally did tshuva. And therefore, in Sefer Malachim, his tshuva was not recorded. But with the Chorban Beis HaMikdash, all the idolaters were murdered. And Ezra prayed that Hashem should bring an end to the Yetzirah of Avodah So now there are no more ramifications of Menashe's Avera. So now Menashe's tshuva could be accepted. In fact, the Todos Yeshua says, Sefer Malachim was written by Yermia. In the time of Yermia, there was still Yetzirah for Avodah So Yermia could not write in Malachim that Menashe did tshuva because his actions continued to produce fruit. But Ezra wrote Divrei Hayamim, and Ezra was Mavatel Avodah so Ezra could record the tshuva of Menashe. About six years ago, I'll end with this. I had the privilege, I was invited to a community down south, Memphis, Tennessee. Before there was any Chafetz Chaim in Memphis, Tennessee. And you could go over there, it's right off the Mississippi River. You could go to the Bass Pro Shop which is like the seat of the NRA. You could buy all kinds of... Uh, very interesting place. And there's the biggest freestanding elevator in the United States of America. You go up to the top of the elevator, you could see a big chunk of the Mississippi River. The highlight of this trip is I met a Yid. He was in his 90s, Yehoshua Kutner. And he told me a very moving story. He said his father came from Warsaw... And his mother came from Galicia. And he grew up in the Great Depression. You know, in the Great Depression, my grandfather, my mother's father grew up in the Great Depression in, a, in poverty, in a tenement apartment in the Bronx. You should know, in the Bronx, in the 1930s, there were 600,000 Jews. You know how many kids went to yeshiva? 600 boys went to yeshiva. Which means the assimilation rate was astronomical. People think in America there's great assimilation, but not in New York. I'm talking New York City. And people used to make, I don't know, a dollar a week. 
uh, a carton of milk was five cents. A loaf of bread was two cents. A newspaper was a penny. People could not even afford a newspaper. So this boy said, who he was in his 90s when I met him, he used to buy ice cream, put dry ice on top, walk in between the trucks, sell ice cream. He would make a dollar on a good day and bring it back for, to his mother just so they could buy food. And he said, we were hungry in our rabbeim in yeshiva, and this is one of the only yeshivas in the 30s. I'm not going to say the name, but there weren't too many yeshivas back then. The rabbeim in our yeshiva were starving because nobody could pay tuition. And the rabbeim went on strike. They couldn't, put, they couldn't feed their babies. Our family owed back tuition about a few months, $6. The menahel said, Kutner, you and your two brothers, you don't come back with six bucks, you don't come back to the yeshiva. Many boys were sent home. Any boy who was sent home went to public school. Any boy who went to public school does not have Jewish grandchildren today. Fact. From an Orthodox yeshiva in 1930, sent to public school for not paying tuition, their descendants are not Jewish. What are we going to do? Mom says to dad, Dad, you have one suit. It was an ugly suit. But he had one suit where the jacket matched the pants. Go to the pawn shop, try to get six bucks for the suit. He goes to the pawn shop, the guy says, six bucks, this thing's a piece of junk. It is worth $3.37. He said, I've got to get my kids back into yeshiva. Please, I need six dollars. He got six dollars. This is one of the most moving experiences in my life, he wrote. Now my brothers and I know what Torah meant for our family. Others were not as fortunate. Others went, veered off ever so slightly, and they don't have Jewish descendants today. My father never had another $6 to buy back his suit. But you know what he got back instead? He got back generations of B'nai Torah and Yerushalayim. All of my great-grandchildren are B'nai Torah today because of my father's suit. Aaron HaKoyin wore eight garments. A regular Koyin wore four garments. My family also had Big Day Kahuna, and Dad sold it for six bucks. And that was the best six dollars we ever spent in our life. My grandfather grew up in those years in the 30s. He had to overcome many challenges to remain in Erl Chayyid. Very likely the primary cause that kept him as an Eved Hashem was he had a grandfather. His grandfather was a spirited Yid. He was a working man, a spirited Jew. What was his influence? Friday night, he sang Kari Boyn at the table with such hislahavos, with such passion, that the roof would shake. And that hislahavos entered my grandfather's heart, and today he has grandchildren and great-grandchildren, B'nai Torah. I can imagine his grandfather, his name was Meshulam Faish. So on Rosh Hashanah, they say, Rabid, guess what? You're getting a promotion this year. So what did I do? I didn't do anything. He said, sure you did. You sang Karibayin 90 years ago. Because of your Karibayin, you have a great, great grandson in Cedarhurst named Gladstein. He has boys. They daven very nicely. That's because you sang Karibayin. 
You're getting a promotion this year. Says Rabbi Yeshua Heller, the decisions we make, the choices we make, reverberate well beyond our lifetime. They continue to reverberate forever and ever and ever. So Ashrechem, that you came out this evening together with your sons in support of Yeshiva Taras Moshe, to Taras Moshe. We have to understand that the day of Yom Kippur reminds us that we are finite, but what we do and what we think and what we say and the choices we make live on forever. Agmar Chasimataira. Thank you so much. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.